Creature is actually a road trip vengeance story about a guy who's really mad at God and wants to go and kick his ass. Welcome back to Entertainment Geekly. I am EW writer Darren Franich. Across the table from me, he's magically recovered from the chainsaw he took to the larynx yesterday. It's EW's Jeff Jensen. Good to see you, Darren. Jeff, great to be here. We're going to talk about Preacher. A bit later in the show, we might talk about the comic book that inspired Preacher and uh, how it relates to the show. But I want to just dive in here. It's aired two episodes on AMC at this point. We've seen a couple more episodes. We won't get into spoilers too much, although it's hard to know how to spoil this show right now because it is very hard to tell what the story is exactly. And I I say that as someone who read and loved the Preacher comics, so I think I know what the story is, but the show keeps on kind of denying me uh, any any understanding of where it's all going. Uh, What have you thought of the show so far, Jeff? I I have a similar kind of a a framework for the show as you, because I've read all of the comics. So it's a very weird thing to watch this show with all of that knowledge in my head. I... I, I recognize a lot of what they're doing. I recognize a lot of characters. I rec- recognize a lot of scenarios. I recognize a lot of themes. I think I see where they are going. I, I think I recognize the adaptation strategy. Um, at the same time, I mean, if, if people aren't confused, if, if, if you don't have that framework, um, I just imagine that there are a lot of people who are like, wow, this is a wild, fun, irreverent show, and I have kind of like no idea <laughs> what is happening. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I really like the, uh, the storytelling spirit that they brought to it. I think they're actually dealing with the spiritual and religious themes of, of, of the comic in, in maybe an even more interesting way than the comic because I think it's more thoughtfully considered and laid out, although I suspect it's probably still building up to the same big points of the comic, and I think we'll probably get into that later on. Um, but I, uh, it, right now, it feels like it's just playing out, to me, to my eyes, as a sort of like wild, irreverent origin story of a guy who's been imbued with power, is learning to use it, is about to come to understand its true nature, and that's going to activate him on a course of story that maybe we'll start really digging into by the end of the first season. Maybe that's a season two thing. Maybe season one is just all about him learning to figure out what this power is and where it comes from, and then that kind of like activates him in a way. Um, But they're definitely throwing a lot of other random stuff at us too that I just think that people are like, if, if, if you know nothing about the comics and you're kind of scratching your head over what the heck was that Western flashback all about at the beginning of episode two, I mean, you're about to get 
um, you know, we've seen through episode four, there's going to be a lot more random stuff that they're not going to follow up on right away that are coming at you over the next two episodes. So yeah, like buckle up. It's, it's going to get really weird yeah, for a each, while. Yeah, each episode so far that we've seen, it, it will have at least one sequence, usually a kind of action comedic horror sequence, you know, replete with lots of blood and lots of sort of almost Sam Raimi-esque mixture of Three Stooges comedy with just horrendous violence in the first episode. There was the very entertaining and nowhere in the comic sequence with Cassidy on board the plane. It was also the great scene that introduced Tulip where she built the bazooka. Also, I think, pretty original for the show, but that seemed to really capture the spirit of the comics to me in a way that I really appreciated. Like, we're definitely in the hands of people who love the original work and have also thought really coherently about how do we adapt this. It's been updated. I I love that, you know, um, there's people in the pews who were on their smartphones and tablets, which were (laughs) things that didn't exist in the original. It feels really keyed into the modern era in a lot of ways. Um, There's a speech that that a character gives in episode four that sounds almost like a thesis statement, and, and it feels very middle of the 20 teens in a way that, you know, a lot of elements of the comic were you know, sort of very 90s only in the best sense. Like, I, I feel like the, the comic was very kind of like, it had that punk rock aspect of just really looking back at an earlier era with equal parts disdain and fascination. And there's a looking forwardness to the show that I like a lot. Um, I will say, though, I don't really love it, even though there are things I like about it. And I think it gets back to what you're saying, that the storytelling is really kind of all over the map. And even its portrait of the main character, I think, is what I struggle with the most. I mean, to be just clear, in the comic books, the comic begins with Jesse Custer leaving his church for for reasons that may or may not ultimately play into the TV show. The TV show begins, or at least it ends its first episode, with him saying, I am staying here and I will attempt to save this town while in the process perhaps saving myself. And it creates this weird Better Call Saul thing where I think in every episode now, Tulip has kind of come up to Jesse and said, hey, Jesse, do you want to become your old self? And it's always, no, no, I'll be Jimmy McGill. I'll be a a good person and a good preacher. And it's interesting, but I, I... you know, I, I do think that, to your point, Jeff, they seem to know where they're going with that. And maybe yeah. it's just that, like, right now we're sort of getting the, you know, these constant temptation moments that all feel like they're kind of the same moment played over and over. It, it, it is a different Jesse from the comic. So the Jesse, um, Jesse Custer, the protagonist of, the, of a preacher in, in the show, is portrayed as this sort of lifelong resident of this town, Anvil, right? I think I'm getting it yes. correctly. Anvil, this sort of like, just sort of blighted Texas small town. Um, and he has inherited this church. He's this preacher. And apparently, I think we're, we're supposed to glean from these flashbacks that he's inherited this church from, from his father, and um, who used to be the preacher in the town. And it appears that Jesse was raised in this town, but probably had sort of like a rebellious teenage years with Tulip and probably maybe even a criminal 20-something period with Tulip. But he has come back to Anvil to fulfill a promise. We haven't really kind of like explicated what that the fullness of that promise is to his father to essentially um, carry on the work of saving the soul of this town. If you know anything about the comic, 
you know that this is maybe somewhat thematically true, but also at the same time radically different. I think it kind of largely depends on who killed Jesse's dad. Um, right, right. Well, um, and, and again, and, and maybe this will play into the future of the show, but the comic really from the beginning is a road trip story. Right, And, you know, right. in, in kind of like the great graphic novel tradition, like it and why the last man are sort of joined together in the fact that each sort of, you know, longer episode will take the characters someplace else. And, and you know, I, I, I completely understand how you can't quite start a TV show that way. And so right. it actually, I find it kind of resonant, this right. idea of, you know, Jesse will not just leave his place. In fact, we'll try to sort of really build out this place right, as a world. A, this Jesse has, a, as, a, as of right now, a different relationship to the people of Anvil than the Jesse of the comic as we found him in issue one of that comic. Issue, you know, the, the Jesse that we find is like, I think he has a heart for this town. He actually want he is concerned about its spiritual condition. He wants to see kind of like goodness return to it. He wants to see people pursue a better moral life than they're living now. Um, but as we kind of find him in the show, I think he's a little bit kind of like, I, he's more down on himself, right? I, I just I don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't think I can fulfill this promise to my dad. I just don't think that this is kind of I, I'm not good at this job. Yes, and, and this job might be impossible. Maybe Anvil's beyond saving, but I just can't do it. Now the Jesse of the comic is very different from the the guy that we encounter in issue one of that comic. The little snippet that we get and we kind of found out find out about him. You know, his his attitude toward the town that he's serving is just pure resentment. Yeah. Like everyone in town is beyond saving. They're they're hypocrites, they're immoral, they're 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 anti-Christian, even as they profess to be Christian, and he's just he's fed up. He's sick of them, he's ready to give up on them. And in fact, in the comics, spoiler alert, but when Jesse actually comes in it becomes imbued with the power that gives him this voice of God, in that moment, he's actually preaching to his congregation. And in the cataclysm that occurs with this power merging with Jesse, it actually destroys the church and kills everybody in town. <laughs> and it's presented in the comic as like a judgment on that town, like like in, in, in maybe an expression of Jesse's judgment on these people. Um, so it has a definitely... A def a, a, the comic begins with a different point of view. What I would argue what we're seeing in the con in the show is I just really wouldn't be too surprised. Uh, it just really depends on kind of like what the what the production requirements of the show. If this is a show that basically is like um, due to budget constraints, it's going to always have to take place in this town. If they're never going to mirror the road trip narrative of the comic, um, uh, then, then what I'm about to say it probably won't come to pass. But if they are ultimately going to embrace the road trip narrative of the comic, then my guess is what we're going to see is, is that they're they're kind of kind of laying out this idea of uh, just coming at Jesse uh, a little bit from a different point of view, which right. is he's going to try to save the town. My guess is that his his strategies for saving the town, especially with the power that he has, isn't going to work. Maybe he's going to come to realize that the town isn't worth saving, and he's just going to write it off. Well, my two theories about the show versus the comic book right now are that 
the comic book is the Old Testament and this is the New Testament. Like, as you said, the comic book begins with just a vision of, you know, all the wicked will be purged that is right out of, you know, Noah and the Ark and kind of like, well, we're going to just, you know, wrap up this world and go on a new one. Whereas this show seems a lot more interested in like no like we will go and talk and, and this is a broad broad scope of, of old testament and new testament and i i'm i i'm not saying that this is true of every single book in the old testament of the new testament but there's there's that sense of like you know jesse here is not a, a vengeful person right now right. he is he is someone who is very much uh, you know in a explicitly messianic way and the shot the show constantly frames him in front of the crucifix at the front of his church he is trying to help you know the sitters and the and the saints, and you know he ha- even as his version of a leper in the form of uh, the character whose name I'm, I'm never sure we can actually say on the show. His name is Eugene, or uh... you mean Arseface? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll just we'll just we'll just say it, I guess. But, but, but my other thought is in the comic book, which is strange because it's a comic book. Jesse is a cowboy. And, I mean, this becomes more and more explicit as the comic book goes along. But he's a cowboy in the real, like, John Wayne sense. And it's maybe more Sam Peckinpah because, obviously, he's a cowboy in a world where there are no easy kind of, like, black and white moral terms. But he is a cowboy. And the show, I think, is making him into a superhero in the sense that we are getting this really extended origin story. And we are getting this, this... in-depth look at his psychology that to me feels like a lot of contemporary superheroes. Like, this in a way feels like a sister to Daredevil to a certain extent. Like, in Daredevil season one, it sort of took this lengthy origin story prologue version of the character, which right. which was also quite entertaining. I mean, this is not a, a bad thing per se, but it's definitely it's, it's an interesting deviation from the source material. Um, right. Which can be interesting. I, I, I do find that after four episodes, I do feel like nothing's really happened. <laughs> right. It, because Yeah, and it feels like to me that that's, you know, yeah, I, I have those issues too. You said a lot there that I would love to respond to, but let's just take that last part first. Like the feeling that nothing's happening. It feels like every, a lot of things are happening. It's throwing a lot of things at you. At least through four episodes. As people are listening to this, you've only seen two episodes. But by the end of four episodes, yes, for sure. It's t- definitely t- uh, taking a slow boat to wherever it's headed here in the first season, even as it's throwing wild and crazy things that you I mean, keep you Jackie uh, Earl Haley is just giving a fantastic performance. Right. <laughs> and, and, and Jackie Earl Haley's character, another thing that through two episodes is like, what is this about? And and, and and if they are going to conform to any sort of like uh, 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 characterization of, 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 of his character that was in the comic, which was, to be clear, the character that Jackie Earl Haley is playing is a character that came uh, was part of a storyline that came very late in Preacher's run and and included some of the most notorious and infamous like things in this very irreverent, outrageous, and violent comic book. Um, but yeah, like through four episodes, it, it, it comes off, like the first two episodes comes on like a house of fire. But by the end of the fourth episode, there were a couple of things that really frustrated with me in the narrative. And it wasn't necessarily the slow burn of Jesse learning his powers and understanding how they work and how he's going to utilize them to solve the problem of the spiritual condition of the town, which definitely seems to be his main storyline in the first several, uh, this, this season so far. But it's, for me, as much as I love Tulip, and as much as I love Cassidy so far, 
that they, for me, become sources of frustration by the end of the, the fourth episode because it feels like that they're, like, Jesse's just, like, you know, he's he, he comes to this town by accident. Cassidy, by, yeah. Yeah, Cassidy comes to this town by accident. Um, he apparently is waiting around for, like, both some money and something that will help him get out of, out, out, out of town. And by the end of the fourth episode, he's still waiting on this. Yeah, there, there's no reason for him to be on the show so far. Right. Which is fine. I, I find the actor to be very entertaining. And, right. and again, it's an example of, like, that's a very different character to a certain extent from Cassidy in the comics. We can see his eyes for one thing, right. which is definitely new. Right. But yeah, like, there's, it's unclear just what is he doing there besides being, like, the wacky the, sitcom roommate. It's like it's like the narrative, the, the storytellers felt like, okay, well, like, like, he has to be part of this show from the beginning we're not really ready to maximize him and tell his story yet but he needs to be part of this from the start so they bring him in and he kind of feels like he's like treading water until they're ready to really activate him similarly with tulip um you know you get the sense that tulip is like after this one big job of great personal importance to her but by the end of episode four, she's just waiting around for Jesse to come to his senses and embrace his wild criminal past and the person that he used to be and give up this whole preaching and like, you know, saving the town stuff to join her on this mission. And so she becomes, for me, a source of frustration, too. She comes off immediately as this sort of like she's this 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 female character of great agency she's she's not defined by any man she's going to chart her own course and then by end of episode four she becomes a very as much as she has a great attitude and she's the performance is great she's being kind of stymied by a, what and, and and made to look like a very conventional kind of female character she's only defined by her man only at this defined point, by which Jesse. is so frustrating and, because and there's I, a, there's a weird irony there which is like you know usually the girl the, the 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 redemptive agent girlfriend is trying to make her guy into a better guy to make him worthy of her you know like here she's trying to like get him to go back to being the bad guy that he used to be to make him <laughs> worthy of her and so they can get out of town and do whatever it is that they want to do i mean nice little twist irony but ultimately kind of just doesn't change the energy or function of the character on the show here it's like they're they're building these relationships they're building a reason for them to be together as a trio they're treating Jesse's power as a source of mystery to be sort of like explored, experimented with, and ultimately unpacked. But yeah, like right now, it seems that this, the story of the show is, I think that he thinks that this power comes from God. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Maybe it does come from God. And he's using this power and learning what this power is um, toward a, a spiritual end. I get the sense that maybe... If, if it's a midpoint thing or maybe it's a season finale thing that you kind of it, it, it's like it's building up to that classic comic book thing of like know your origin story isn't what you think your origin story is yes. you know it's not x it's actually y swamp thing is actually a swamp thing. <laughs> <laughs> right right um but back to the old testament thing and this is how i'm making sense of things and this is sort of like why i really appreciate the spiritual themes of the show which is it's funny that you should say Old Testament, New Testament, right? So to put on a little bit of the Sunday school hat, it's uh, it's interesting to me that the Old Testament God that we have in the Bible is a God that is very much interfacing with his people, 
right? He's constantly talking to them. He's constantly giving direction to them. He's constantly telling them what they need to do. Kill your son. Don't kill your son. Right, right. <laughs> what he, are you doing? <laughs> he, he's giving them commandments to live, how to live their life. He's following them around in a dark cloud and protecting them. They're disobeying him. He retreats. They repent. He comes back to them. Manna from heaven. Right. So you have this, you have this God that for the people of Israel and the people of the Old Testament like is very real, very present, very much telling them what to do as long as they obey, right? In the New Testament, like God essentially abandons this form of interaction with his people. Um, he instead embodies himself in the form of his son, Jesus. He executes a redemption mission for mankind, dies, sacrifices himself for their sins. Then he goes away. And that kind of ends, like there's a lot of, you know, from that point forward, we, we live in a kind of different relationship with God who doesn't necessarily hang out with us in the temple or as a cloud or as a burning bush or whatever the way he used to do back in the Old Testament. Lots of people who are listening to this who are theologians or Christians or, or whatever might have a huge problem the way, with the way I've oversimplified things, but let's just kind of go with this structure for now. Um, so the Old Testament God is a God who commanded his people with his voice. So I find it very interesting then that here we are in like a sort of like post New Testament world in which God has executed this redemption plan and now has abandoned us. And now we're left to wonder, is there really a God? How come he doesn't interface with his creation if he, if like the way that he used to? And into this world, Jesse Custer ends up kind of like, uh, like gets imbued with this voice this Old Testament God voice. He's able to actually tell people to do to do things and they will do it, right? He commands them. What it's it's almost like he's been possessed by the Old Testament kind of God, right? Mm. Um, and it almost kind of like I, I like this in terms of the spiritual themes of the show. It's almost as if the show is kind of saying at least for now, kind of presenting this argument for a nostalgia, a want for the Old Testament God, for like the, the, the kind of God that was that is with us and is directing us and commanding us to do, because Lord knows we've taken our freedom and we've kind of made this an even more fallen world, right? Interesting. So to that end, I think that maybe the, the, the symbols of the show are directing you to kind of view Jesse as this recovery of this old time notion of God and this pining and this nostalgia for the kind of old time notion of God, because I find interesting that the two mysterious characters that are either trying to kill Jesse or reclaim the power of Jesse, the device that they're using to try to reclaim the, 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 the uh, his power, what is it? What is it, Darren? The chainsaw? But it's not just the chainsaw, <laughs> but they're carrying around a can. Oh, yes. And what's written on the can? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see. What is it? Old time coffee. <laughs> You're kidding uh, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's old time, right? <laughs> That's incredible. So I, I'm beginning to wonder if, like, if you think of the can as the canister from which this power that is now Jesse probably once resided, it's like it's, it's this old time God thing, the kind of God that used to kind of, like, command people with his voice tell people what to do um, has somehow escaped its canister 
and these two people are about trying to like put it back into the canister and get it out of Jesse and put it back into the canister. I think these are the kinds of themes that the show is working with, which is 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 it's laying out this argument. It's it's like it, we're presented with this fallen world. People are are sinful. People aren't obeying the law. They aren't living these good lives. They're ignoring the commandments of God. And maybe it's because they don't do it because they don't feel he exists, right? That he's not real. He's not a voice. He's not a presence the way that he used to be in the Old Testament. And so now it's 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 returned seemingly in the form of, of Jesse. There are I, I I'm sure that there will be complications that ensue out of this, right. especially as we start to see how he uses his power, whether this is a good idea or bad. But it almost seems that, like, you know, Seth Rogen and his writing partner, Evan Goldberg? Evan Goldberg, Evan yes. Goldberg are kind of, like, uh, using Jesse and using the story right now to kind of say, like, how might this be good? How might this be bad? Like, what if we had, like, the Old Testament God that lived among us and told us what to do and how to live our lives? Like, would that be good for us? And in what ways could that go horribly wrong? What I get the sense from the show if it's if it's following the thing that I assume, and it may not, it may not, is that I feel like, and this is a major difference from the comic book, I feel like that the show is trying to earn the right to criticize God. Mm-hmm. And it's laying the groundwork for a sympathy, a, a recognition for a, a, a need for God, a need for redemption, a need for a return to some kind of like morality or some kind of like, you know, saving influence. And I'm just saying morality. But just sort of like a... Oh, there's no... Definitely morality. Sure, sure. (laughs) I I mean, I think that like how I would sort of try to phrase this is that it's like there there is something broken about the culture of Anvil that keeps people alienated and separated from each other, that wires them more for selfishness. Um, And is there a way to sort of like re-inspire this town to sort of a more community feeling, a more kind of love thy neighbor kind of feeling, um, a sort of like universal truth, a universal goodness. And where can that come from and what will inspire it? And man, it would be really nice if like some kind of like good and just God would sort of visit us and give us justice and inspireness toward goodness. I think that it is, it is, like laying out in these episodes a a, a a recognition for the need for that, or at least those effects, not necessarily God, but just kind of like a, a sort of like redeemed society. And it's crying out for God to sort of do this. I recognize that we need some salvation. It would be awesome if it came from God. But if he does exist, then where is he? And now I'm going to complain about it. I feel like it's, it's earning the right to complain from God about God, as opposed to the comic. Let's talk about the comic. This, this is, is going to be all comic now from, from here, from, from and here we'll on dive out. deep in, in, into spoilers. Because yes. the comic book from the get-go is freaking pissed off yeah. at the whole idea of God. In the comic book, what you find out is, is that some point in the recent or distant past, God basically flaked out and left heaven. So he's gone completely MIA, and he's left the celestial mechanics of our world in the hands of some pretty stupid, petty angels, okay? (laughs) Meanwhile, apparently a long ago, a male angel and a female demon, while they were kind of like circling the earth looking for either people to save or people to tempt, 
took a gander at each other, fell in love, had wild sex, and like conceived a child that was pure godlike energy. And it was born and it terrified everyone in heaven. They bottled it up and put it away and kept it contained and hoped that would never get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, as we would later find out, because we're really spoiling things now, aren't we, Darren? Yeah. God would find out about this act of conception, and there was something about it that freaked him out and scared him, and that is why he left. Maybe because he realized that, there was, that the power that it represented was equal to his own, and he realized he wasn't maybe as special as that, any, as he wasn't godlike anymore. Anyway, if the show mirrors the comic book in any way, then what we find out in the comic is that this energy has escaped its prison up in heaven and came to earth and looked for a human host to imbue. And it finds Jesse and it fuses with Jesse. And Jesse is motivated by any number of things, including a much more complicated and tortured past than than is presented in the show so far and maybe in the show in general. Um, but imbued with this power, and as he comes to quickly understand where this power came from and what is going on in heaven, is just absolutely outraged at the thought that God would essentially abandon his post and, by implication, abandon his creation. And so Preacher is actually a road trip vengeance story about a guy who's really mad at God and wants to go and kick his ass mm-hmm. and either to kill him for abandoning his creation or kick him right back up to heaven and say, hey, save us already. Yeah. Take responsibility for yourself. That's exactly. Right. And, and I mean, I, I just think that what the show is doing so far, I, I find really interesting, if kind of boring, just in the sense <laughs> that like it's and, you know, I, I mean this like sincerely. I, I think that what they have done is they've looked at the comic and the comic goes to some crazy places. Right. And it goes to, you know, it, it, it does things that are provocative in a really interesting way. It does a lot of things that are provocative just for the sake of being provocative. There's ultimately a a fun and very twisted cosmology that it builds up around its depiction of heaven and hell and its relationship to to people on earth. And, you know, anyone who's read it knows that the the descendant of Jesus Christ who ultimately appears is one (laughs) of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in a graphic novel. Um, but, (laughs) But, you know... The, the comic book just begins, and, and I, you know that first arc, which I think is called "Gone to Texas." It just throws you right in, and I think the show seems to be doing this thing where it's setting up so much stuff, and it almost seems like it, it feels the need to, as you said, Jeff, walk you up to the point of being able to ask these provocative questions. And it just strikes me that the, the comic book it just starts right away, right. and and I, I think that's why. If there's any frustration to have, it's interesting to see something that just so completely, you know, jumped right on all these questions and was unafraid to ask them. There's an abashed quality to the show by comparison that that I find kind of frustrating, I guess. But one thing I will say about the storytelling structure of the comic is is that it was written at a time where the whole (laughs) trade paperback thing was relatively new and very important revenue stream for comics. Comics were extremely depressed at this time in 1995. Post-bust. Like it was, it, was, it was just one year or two years after the bust, monthly comic book sales were like dropping off like mad. And um, 
and and but this whole phenomenon of collecting issues into kind of like a trade paperback or quote unquote graphic novel thing was a relatively new phenomenon for the industry and would ultimately become a thing that would really help save it throughout the 90s. It would become this huge new revenue stream that would see like sales growth of sometimes of like anywhere from 10 to 50% every single year. So it would help kind of bring the industry back. So as a result, there was this push in monthly comic book storytelling to basically turn every single issue into a chapter of a bigger story that could be collected into a trade paperback and then sold as opposed to just sort of like writing a standalone issue of a comic. There was this pressure of telling like multi-part storylines so that you could create this aftermarket product that would help sell things. And Preacher is very much written that way, especially as you get deeper into the comics um, uh, in, in the run. It's like, it feels like that the, the one of the dynamics of the narrative is that it, it splits people up so that they can all kind of find each other again for a big conflict. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of split them up again. And it's kind of expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. I do want to go back to does it hold up? Because yeah. I have not gone back in and read it. Is it it's still because when the show started, I'm not going to name names here because it was kind of everybody. A lot of people were writing about the show. And I was surprised to see that a lot of different writers said like, well, the original comic book is like kind of retrograde and it's, it, it's you know, sexist in some ways and just like a, a, a lot of things that the, the common sense wisdom seemed to be well this show is solving a lot of the comics problems which I you know the comic is very much a vertigo era thing that does a lot of really florid over the top stuff that is maybe not defensible in a vacuum but it always felt like it had a real deep purpose t to me and it was it was strange to see that so many people like seem to think like oh thank god we have like a talky like nice adaptation of this comic book which sort of rubbed me the wrong way i mean it's it's a very talky show it was a very talky comic but a lot of the images of of preacher are very outrageous everything from the design of a character like our space to the character of Jackie Earl Haley and ultimately what he's doing with his <laughs> meatpacking plant and 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 all points in between. But the character of Star, I mean, like takes a lot of abuse. But like, like, like it, never, it never felt like an empty joke to me. Well, like what okay. happens to okay. Star? Yeah, like, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. It just like you know, by the end, he's just this this sort of shell of a person in lots of different right, ways. Right, right, right. And and I just I always found that so interesting. And yes, it's funny, but it it, it didn't seem like. It never felt to me like Garth Ennis didn't know what he was doing. Okay, Maybe so, salvation so as an arc is, is the one. Let's try to like be. Let me let me try to be coherent about this. Okay. So I think a lot of what the complaint in retrospect of the comic, this this charge of retrograde uh, of of depictions and characterizations. I mean a a lot. I mean there is a fixation with uh, homosexuality. Um, with sexual violence against, you know, male and male sexual violence mm -hmm. um, to a sort of like almost maybe gay panic degree. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I haven't done a reread deep enough to basically come to a judgment yet on whether or not I think We insist comic... that you pass moral judgment <laughs> on <laughs> entertainment, No, what I, what, what, <laughs> like, I, I think there's some validity to a complaint about the comic book on that regard. I mean, like, is it wallowing in that violence and to kind of, like, share, like, a sort of, like, retrograde regard for, like, homosexuality? Is it more sympathetic to, like, the demonization? Um, uh, not... 
not 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 that it's it's anti demonization right. of gay people and 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 that kind of thing. It, it it seems to both kind of I think that part of that critique of the comic also kind of like blends in with whether or not it is deconstructing or affirming certain notions of masculinity that Jesse represents, right? So it's interesting to me that like earlier on you talk about the comic, the the TV show, and its depiction of of, of Jesse as a man, you know, like as the the man, uh, the the masculinity that's embodied by Jesse in the TV show is very conflicted. It's very spiritual. It's like he he's maybe a little bit impotent or castrated by choice, whatever. Whereas the Jesse Custer of the comic has a sort of like uh, there there there's a machismo. There is a very kind of like you know old-fashioned masculine identity which is in very specifically embodied by his imaginary friend who is John Wayne like in, in, in cowboy mode and as we kind of learn dig into um, uh, his origin story in the comic what you kind of find is that his his dad um, a very mid-century modern kind of like tough guy guy he really idolized John Wayne but without the racist stuff, right. you know, yes. like no, he he idolized like our kind of like liberalish idea of John, right? Wayne. <laughs> As sort of like this sort of like moral, principled, like stick to your to your ethics, to your principles. Be a good man, Jesse. Stand for good things. And don't let this world uh, drag you down. Like you know, like. A, a moral toughness, yeah. you know. It's sort of like what Tony minus Soprano, all of the retrograde, like you right. know, like or like racism, sexism that can be sort of part of that. Right. I mean, like it's sort of like what Tony Soprano thought about Gary Cooper, right? It's like right. whatever happened to those guys says a guy who is not like that at, at all exactly. in any way. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's like you know, I think that 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 preacher was sort of idolizing kind of like the most idealistic version of that, while also being cognizant of. Uh, aspects of that the 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 violence the 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 radical individuality of that that can sometimes be like you know a a, a negative so i think that like part of the 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 reconsideration of preacher is is walking that very fine line between whether or not it's like indulging a lot of bad stuff or if it's criticizing a lot of bad stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just seems crazy to me if you're looking at it as a whole, which I realize, as you put it out very well, we're now able to look at comic book Preacher as a whole story in a way that when it was coming out, that was certainly not how it was being treated. This is a comic that kills God like, and, and is very aggressively against the authoritarian iconography that um, organized religion often emphasizes. Like, right. This is not to say, like, I'm not sure Preacher is it's anti-religion, up, right. but it, it is certainly, I mean, it, it's depiction of the sort of, um, I think it's like Daronique, who's the sort of, like, you know, fake pope. Yeah. Of, of, I mean, <laughs> right, like, right, right. It, its depiction of him is very aggressively against the patriarchy, the oldest patriarchy in the books. And so I, I don't know, I, I, right. I find it a little frustrating that, you know, because it is a a macho thing at times. I, I'm not totally convinced that like that's what the whole comic is. And right. I think the comic book Tulip is a very different character than what we've seen of the TV show Tulip so far. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I I'm so intrigued by what the show is doing differently. But it is sort of frustrating that it seems like to some people it's just kind of like oh thank God the show is coming along to solve all those ism problems. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the things that people are bugged by the comic now kind of bugged me too. Like, 
but I came to really respect its irreverence and see its irreverence as protest. Yes. It is, I feel like to me that this is probably the best and most personal work of Garth Ennis from a point of view of this just massive complaint about the world. Mm -hmm. And, and he is going to express this complaint through the most irreverent story with the most irreverent storytelling aesthetic possible. And that's what I would kind of say, my, my kind of bottom line thing about how I appreciate Preacher, is that it, it, it is, it's a reverence about the value of a reverence. It's, it's this kind of complaint that says that like, God isn't worth our reverence. If God exists, he's not worth my reverence mm -hmm. because look at this world. And so I'm going to express this by being irreverent about everything to the most degrading degree, you know, uh -huh. um, in terms of how I treat my characters, the way I treat, you know, like the, the, the suffering and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, but ultimately within it, he also tells this really powerful, like, romantic story well, yeah. and, like, well, and all this kind and, of stuff. And, and, and listen, and, and, you know, the nature of its storytelling, if Preacher, the TV show, runs for seven or eight seasons, it may absolutely get there. I, I fully, I'm so invested in the way they're able to build scenes in the show. Like, there's clearly a great intelligence behind it. But, like, I mean, the comic book could tell really human stories. There are parts, yes. That, yes. Th there are parts of it that still break my heart that have nothing to do with the main character. That's was like remember like um there was a character who was like Jesse and Tulip's friend in New York uh -huh. and the, the moment where we leave her and she's sort of watching them go and there's just a lot of sensitive stuff like that combined with I mean I've always been so struck and this is almost worth a podcast unto itself the nature of John Wayne in the comic book yes. is so interesting because yes. the whole time reading it you're always kind of halfway thinking or at least I was at the time well this is some other angelic figure this is this is something that will be explained in the elaborate supernatural religious cosmology of, of the comic book and ultimately it's not really john wayne sort of leaves jesse and you know there's the sort of great end of the searchers moment where his john wayne is walking out of the door he leaves jesse kind of like before the end but that sequence is treated with absolute transcendent you know cosmic goodness and it's right. always struck me that in a comic book that's about ultimately how, as, as you've said, God is not worth it and ultimately we should kill him, maybe, the comic loves John Wayne. And it's almost as if he is a new godlike figure of, of morality for Jesse, which I've always kind of more freely interpreted as like, you know, maybe you replace one god with another god, maybe the movies are our gods. I don't know, there's there's more to read there that I'm not vocalizing. Yeah, yeah. But and, there, and there, there is some hope in the comic, And I there guess is, is what that humanism to the show to the to the comic book that really comes on strong like in the in as it gets beyond issue 10 and as it actually even gets deeper into the story where like this is a this is a comic that is surprising uh, for the time and how much it attended so much to the tulip and jesse like romance like that comic really believed in their love yes. and in their relationship and it will devote it would devote huge, like, long issues of them, like, in bed talking. Yeah, and, yeah. And going out on a date and actually being somewhat kind of, like, like wonderfully romantic but not sentimental about it. Even the storyline that I kind of criticized earlier as being kind of somewhat flabby when later in the comic when Jesse goes to that town and becomes the sheriff. His mom comes back to life right, in comic. that one too, and, right? But, but it's, it, it, it's, it's about... I love comics. Yeah, right. But, but that... 
But that one at the time, rereading it now, it's like so transparently to me, like, man, this is kind of like long winded. Right. But like, but when I was reading that on a month by month basis, I was struck by the effort of the storytelling to slow us down, to sit with these characters, to hear them talk about themselves, talk about their internal lives, talk about their histories. It was there when the show, when the comic started to win me over. Yeah. When I started to see its irreverence from a different point of view, that it wasn't just sensationalistic for for sensationalistic. It 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 started like it, it, it sensationalism for sensationalism's sake. It was it, it it was using irreverence for some kind of philosophical and artistic and spiritual purpose, yeah. a very personal purpose. My hope for the show is that like. You know, they don't seem beholden to a lot of narrative stuff, which I think is great. They seem to have a really clear sense of what made Preacher good, and I'm I'm I'm, yes. exci- I, I, I'm, I'm excited about that. Like I, I I want this model of adaptation to succeed, where yes. you can really do interesting, compelling, modern things. You know, that where, where you're you're up you're updating stuff for the modern age, and you're asking maybe more complex questions. So. I know, I agree. I mean, like, um, the comics are the comics. If you want the comics, they're there. And they're great. Um, <laughs> but here you have, like, Seth Rogen and, and, and Evan Goldberg responding to a work that they really loved, being faithful to its spirit, but maybe using, and, and, and presenting its story to a, a, a faithful, in essence, degree, but in a way that kind of speaks to our times, but also kind of re- reflects their own kind of like interests. And uh, I, I personally, it's, it's, it's a more daring and a riskier, riskier adaptation strategy than just saying, copy and pasting chapters of Game of Thrones on screen. <laughs> I mean. Which, which, which show are you talking about, Jeff? <laughs> Are you talking about any show in particular? No. Are you talking about Fear the Walking Dead? No, I guess so. Yes, um, that's it. Jeff, we'll definitely return to Preacher. Uh, I believe uh, there are eight episodes this season, ten episodes this season. Really? I, I, I kind of lose track of how know. many episodes there are. We'll talk about it more uh, later on. Uh, you can follow Jeff at EW Doc Jensen. I'm at Darren Franich. If you have any thoughts about Preacher, you can email me, Darren underscore Franich at EW.com. Don't email Jeff. Don't email me. He won't answer. I, I, I hate he, people. Jeff, Jeff, don't. <laughs> Don't care. And uh, Jeff, uh, we'll be back next week talking more entertainment geekly stuff. Sounds good.